Well, Brian and his family are down in Branson. They're probably going to be head back tomorrow. I'm not really sure what his schedule is, but I just know they're away having some good, uh, some good restful time, me and the family. So he asked if I would fill in on Sunday night, and um, I've, I've said this before. I've told um, Brian that this, I love Sunday night. Uh, sometimes I don't make it as often as I, as I could, but I do. I love Sunday night. I love Sunday night because, one, we sing those hymns. I mean, I just love singing those hymns. I really do. Uh, they're so, so important. They really are. And also, I like the time. I like uh, Brian's just relaxed demeanor, you know. And so that's, that's good, too, to just be able to spend some time with our pastor. So um, this will go ahead and get right into it. Now, generally, he talks about uh, some special things on his mind and stuff. But uh, we can probably cover that uh, afterwards, right? Yeah, so we'll just do that. Um, if you will, please turn to your, in your Bibles, to the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians is a book that I've been uh, looking into in my morning devotions. Uh, just kind of uh, going through it, just taking my time going through it and... Uh, Trying to, what is it, uh, I think the psalmist says, uh, suck the marrow from the bone, you know. So that's what I've been trying to do. And um, what I want to look at, and since Sunday night is devoted to prayer, I want to kind of look at um, Paul's prayer here in the first chapter of Colossians, um, verses um, 9 through 12. But we're not going to cover all of it. I might as well tell you that right off the bat. And, um, you know, I find it, I don't know about you guys, but I find it uh, personally instructive to uh, study or look at or consider uh, the prayers that are found in the Bible. I had um, a young lady um, ask me how she could get her uh, uh, life kick-started again in regards to her relationship with the Lord. And one of the things that we talked about, of course, was prayer. And uh, she asked me, "How do you know? How do I pray? What? How do I? How do I pray?" And I said, "Well, what are we doing right now?" And she said, "Well, we're conversing, we're talking." And I said, "There you go." I said, "When you pray, you just talk to God. You let God know what's on your heart, what's on your mind. You let Him know what your fears are, what's going on in your life. He wants to be a part of your life, and to be a part of your life, just talk to Him about your life." And and things like that. But I also told her, you know, there's also other places in the Bible you could go to, and you can read about other people's prayers, you can read about those things, and you could learn something from, from their prayers. There's no real set formula for prayers, I told her, but there are men and women in the Bible that you could go to. For example, you know, we've got Abraham, Moses, and Daniel. They have some uh, really good prayers as far as, what, interceding for God's people, right? So... I said, you could go there. And then we've got uh, the prayers of David and Asaph and the other folks in Psalms. And I said, go to the book of Psalms and read the book of Psalms. Those, those are, that's a good book to, to uh, look at and consider and study as far as you know, how to pray to God, you know, pray God's word back to him. I said, then you've got the prayers of Jesus. Jesus prayed all the time. You could go and like read John chapter uh, 17 or something like that and and read about his prayers. And then I said, of course, we've got that 
model prayer or what everybody calls the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I said, you know, so there's lots of things in the Word of God. A lot of places you can go in the Word of God in regards to prayer. And we have one of those places right here in Colossians chapter 1. And so, like I said, in my personal devotions, I've just, you know, just been taking my time and, and just looking at the, the letter to the Colossians and praying about, you know, uh, things. And so what I simply want to do, and, and this is nothing in depth, and this is probably something that you guys can teach me on, but I just want to share with you what God has permitted for me to see thus far, and uh, especially about this prayer of Paul's in Colossians chapter 1. And um, if we'll look at verse 9, uh, Paul writes here in Colossians 1.9, he says, For this cause... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. For this cause, right? We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So what that tells me right there, right off the bat, is that there are, there, Paul has a reason or a cause to pray. You know, what is a good reason or cause to pray? You know, we come together on uh, Sunday night, and uh, we have a prayer list, right? And on this prayer list, we've got um, all sorts of things. We've got church ministries, we've got government, we've got salvation, we've got folks who have infirmities, uh, folks in nursing homes, soldiers, government, college students, missionaries. There's a lot of good reasons to pray on our on our prayer list, a lot of good causes to pray about. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's something that we can consider, uh, reasons to pray, causes to pray. And then sometimes we pray for things that aren't necessarily on our prayer list, do we? We have friends or family that may not be on the prayer list. We have um, events that are coming up. We've got uh, situations in our own personal life that maybe are not on the prayer list. But uh, Paul is sitting here, or writing here, and he, he, he says that uh, for this cause, uh, we are praying for you. For this cause, we are praying for you. So I got to thinking, what cause is Paul talking about here? What exactly is, is causing Paul or giving Paul a reason to pray uh, for these people, and I believe we find it in the previous verses. I think, uh, you know, context, right? So we find it in the previous verses. We find it in the faith and the love and the hope that these believers had uh, because of a man by the name of Epaphras who went to them and witnessed to them and taught them about the things of the Lord. So I want to look at some of these causes that uh, Paul had to pray for them. Look at verse 5 in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says here, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So Paul prayed because they had heard the word of the truth of the gospel. Uh, this, is, this is what we pray for, isn't it? When we go to our church list and we have a list of over 20 people who 
other folks want us to pray for their salvation, we are praying uh, that these folks hear the gospel, don't we? Uh, we want folks to hear what the gospel is all about and, and the truth of the gospel. Uh, why? Why do we do that? Well, I think Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 gives a pretty good reason for that. In Romans chapter 1, 16, it's, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Right? So we believe, don't we? Uh, we believe that only the gospel of Jesus Christ will save men. That is the only thing that has the power to save men and women and boys and girls uh, from hell. So that's why we pray that they hear the gospel, because that's the only hope that anyone has. It's not their works, it's not church attendance, it's not their baptism. They have to hear the gospel that is the only power that can save them. So we pray that they hear the gospel. Something else that I thought of when I was considering this, um, Romans chapter 10, in uh, verse um, 14, Romans 10, 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So not only do we pray for folks to hear the gospel, the only power that will save them, but also on our prayer list, we've got a list of names of people who are missionaries, right? And so we pray for God to send preachers and missionaries of the gospel to those folks who need to hear the words of life. I love uh, what Luke was talking about this morning about his neighbors and his uh, little boy, you know? Uh, that's exactly what we need to be praying about. We need to be praying about uh, folks being sent to these people on our prayer list to share with them the gospel, to tell them the gospel. We need to pray for our missionaries, uh, the Pearsons and the Clarks and, you know, all the missionaries that are out there uh, trying to reach folks with the truth of the word of Christ, the truth of the gospel. So we need to pray for these folks uh, that, the, that, the, that the gospel will be heard uh, by those that they, they minister to. Uh, something else that I saw here as um, I was kind of looking at uh, uh, Paul's cause, what caused him to pray for this uh, Colossian church, right here in verses 3 and 4 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What this reminded me of was back here in Galatians chapter 1, in uh, verse 6 through 8, when Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he says, 
He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, I don't know what your guys' experience was, uh, but when I was... um, Brand new in the Lord, not saved for very long. (laughs) It seemed like every cult and religious weirdo in the world just started coming out of the woodwork, right? And they wanted to um, preach their brand of the gospel. And, uh, you know, they wanted to, you know, teach me a different way and so forth and so on. Uh, you know, when we, we pray for folks that, to hear the gospel, we also need to pray for folks that they have an unshakable trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I hear of a brand new believer like this young lady not too long ago that uh, was baptized, I pray not only uh, do they get discipled, but I pray that their faith in Jesus Christ is unshakable is unshakable. I mean, the very purpose Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Colossians is because there were some folks that had infiltrated the church and they were preaching a different gospel and they were preaching a less than Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they were diminishing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ from his proper place. Colossians 2, 18 through 19 He says, let no man beguile you of of your reward and a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. You know, and that's that's what false teachers do. Uh, They always teach another gospel and they always put uh, Jesus in second place to something else. You know, they'll they'll preach Jesus, but they'll always place Jesus second to someone or something else. Uh, They preach a Jesus, if you really study what it is they're saying about him, they preach a Jesus who falls short in some way. They preach a Jesus that falls short some way. And they also preach that Jesus is never enough. By himself, Jesus is never enough. So, you know, when we pray for folks to hear the gospel, when we pray for folks who are out there preaching the gospel, we need to pray for those folks. They stand fast, rock solid, settled in the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. In Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul writes, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Root them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not in some other gospel, not in some wacky teaching, or anything like that. They, their relationship is with a living Savior. A living Savior. 
something else that I saw here in Colossians. Here in verse 7, Paul writes in Colossians 1.7, he says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Uh, Paul prayed, another reason, a cause for Paul's prayer was because these people were being discipled. These people were being discipled. Uh, This man, Epaphras, he was a good man. He was a good man. Uh, uh, Paul referred to him as a dear fellow servant. I would be pretty good praise if the Apostle Paul referred to us as his dear fellow servants. He also called him a faithful minister of Christ. And boy, don't we need a lot of those. We need faithful ministers of Christ in the ministry. Uh, Later on in Colossians, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul speaks of this man again. He says in verse 12 of chapter 4, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I mean, Epaphras was a good, good man. He was a, he was a fervent uh, man toward the, this church in Colossae. He was a fervent man toward the church in Hierapolis. He was a fervent servant of the Lord uh, toward the people in Laodicea. Uh, Epaphras was a disciple of, of Paul when Paul was uh, preaching in, in, in uh, Ephesus. And what this man did was is like, uh, he took what Paul had taught him and he went to Colossae and, and Hierapolis and, and Laodicea, these three cities, and he taught them the very same thing and he established churches in those cities. And so, you know, uh, this was a good man. And so Paul prayed because these people were being discipled. These people were being uh, discipled. Uh, we read about the, the fruit of uh, Epaphras' labors right here in verses 4 through 8 in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, right? And for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. This is a vibrant, growing uh, church. This is a, this is a church that uh, is, uh, is manifesting the fruit of Epaphras' labors as he, as he disciples these people and teaches these people and, and preaches to these people. I mean, we've got the three key uh, virtues of the Christian walk right here. uh, Faith and love and hope. And these three virtues were being manifested by this church. And so Paul prayed uh, because they were being discipled. uh, Because uh, Paul was uh, concerned. Uh, He desired, he longed that this church would mature and grow. You know... um, and this is something that I'm challenged with often, but a mark of um, maturity, I believe, in the Christian walk and the Christian faith as being a, a servant of the Lord, to me, a, a walk of maturity 
is uh, having an interest in the spiritual life of others. Wouldn't you say that was true? I mean, so often what we find are, are Christians who, more, who are more concerned about myself. You know, how, you know, how am I doing this or this or that? But to me, a mark of genuine uh, Christian maturity, it's kind of like, like what Luke was talking about as far as humility is concerned, is having a, gen- a genuine interest in the spiritual life and the, and the progress of others. You want to see them, you know, have a good walk with the Lord. You want to see them uh, uh, be uh, flourish in service. You want to see them be fruitful in their relationship with the Lord. You want to see them faithful in their attendance. You, you, you just desire to see someone just grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, this was the heart, I believe, of Epaphras. Uh, this was the heart of Epaphras. He says here uh, in verse 13 of chapter 4, Mar- uh, Paul is saying, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. you he has a great zeal for this church. When's the last time you had a great zeal for someone in their growth and, and, and in, their, in their service? You know, uh, where did Epaphras catch this heart? He caught it from the Apostle Paul, didn't he? He caught it from the Apostle Paul. So you see, that's, that's kind of discipleship, isn't it? Yeah, Epaphras learned about Jesus Christ from Paul. He learned about the gospel from Paul. Yeah, he learned about the doctrine from Paul. But that's just part of discipleship, isn't it? Because what else did he um, get from Paul? He got the heart of Paul. He got the heart of Paul, and he took all of that, and he took it to, this, to these people in Colossae, and he passed that on to these people in Colossae. And so Paul prayed for these folks because they were being discipled by this good man, Epaphras. You know, that's something that's something that uh, I have to admit that um, I really haven't... Um, considered as seriously as I should have. You know, you're always hearing about somebody starting discipleship. But have you ever, I mean, and besides, you know, you yourself being the one who's discipling someone, but if you hear of somebody else starting discipleship with someone, have you ever thought to pray for the one who's doing the discipleship as well as the one who's being discipled? You know, that, I'm kind of ashamed of myself, but that's something that we should be praying about. You know, that's something that should be on our prayer list is the folks who are being discipled as well as the folks who are taking the folks through the discipleship. Not only that they would gain more knowledge, but they would also capture the hearts, right? The heart of discipleship, the heart of what this church is, is all about. So, you know, that's just something that I kind of learned a little bit there. Um, in Colossians 1.9, he says, uh, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So he rejoiced in their progress, the verses above verse 9, but he also prays for their continued progress. Here in verse 9 and verse 10, right? Uh, 
he, he, he prays for their continued progress. You know, I knew an individual who would uh, brag, boast, I mean literally boast, about the number of people that they had taken through uh, the 16 lessons of discipleship. And uh, whenever this person would finish uh, bringing someone through those 16 lessons, uh, they would boast, well, there's another feather in my cap next. That, that's the attitude, that's the spirit that they had in, in, in regards to discipleship. That's, you know, that's the wrong spirit of discipleship, you know. Uh, the purpose of discipleship is not to just put another feather in your cap. It's not to build bigger churches. Uh, but what is it all about? It's, it's, to, it's to encourage, it's to edify, it's to train, it's to perfect, it's to bring someone to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to do what you can to, to share with them that, that life and that love uh, so that they would be what? Uh, living sacrifices for Jesus Christ, right? So that's that they would live their lives uh, to the glory of God. And this is what Epaphras had learned from Paul, and this is what he was passing on to others, and this is what Paul was praying for. He was thankful for their progress thus far, and so Paul was praying that they would continue in this uh, progress. That's why he wrote this epistle, because he knew he had learned that there was something that was endangering it. And that's why he wrote this epistle. And so that's, you know, he cared enough to tell these folks, hey, you're doing great, continue doing great, but beware of this. Beware of this. The labor of discipleship is seen by its fruit. He says here in verse 10 and 11, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. You know, when we lose sight of that, I think we lose the reason for ministry. Ministry is not about building bigger churches ministry is not about vbs or any and all of that is important all of that is essential but ministry is about people knowing god loving god and serving god uh, so that was paul's desire uh, paul's desire was that they would be filled with the knowledge of god's will they would be filled with the knowledge of god's will uh, how do we do that well, we learn it from God's word. We get into God's word and we learn, we learn it from the preaching and the teaching of the word. So we need to be filled with the, will of God, uh, the knowledge of the will of God. And as we come to understand the will of God, then that helps us to walk worthy of the Lord, doesn't it? I mean, how can you walk worthy of the Lord if you don't know what it is that he wants you to, to walk worthy about? Um, knowledge is best expressed by practice. Right? Knowledge is best expressed by practice. Uh, the Christian life is best expressed uh, by not in how much you might know, because I know a lot of folks who know a lot. I really do. Uh, it's not so much how much you know or how clever you are when you speak, but in how well you practice 
what you know. How well you practice what you know. A, a Manly Beasley, a preacher from long ago, I remember back in 1981 when he came to KCBT and, and, and taught at the church at a, at a faith conference. And uh, essentially, what he, the, one of the things that he said that just resonated with me was this. And I'm going to butcher what he said. But he said, um, the mark of a successful Christian is to live what is written of them. When you live what is written of you, as far as being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're living that, you're living a successful life. You're living a successful life. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18, one of my favorite verses in the scripture, uh, um, he, uh, 2 Peter 3.18, uh, Peter is saying to these folks, he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To walk worthy of the Lord is to be a living expression of this grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of a thumbnail of what, uh, what God has shown me in that passage. Any comments or questions or anything on that? Are you going to turn me off? <laughs>